I'll read it. We're in the Gospel of Luke as we were this morning, just back a couple of chapters. We're in chapter 14. And particularly, we want to look at verses 26 through 33. In light of what the song we just sung, what is he worth to your soul? What was Jesus willing to do for us as he came to this earth? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to, began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions for peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. What a challenge to think about what is being asked of us that we really want to be a disciple of Jesus. Are we willing to count the cost? And it's twofold. Count the cost for serving God. And count the cost for not serving God. And see how the two match up. One might seem easier for the physical life. But as we all know, there's an end to the physical life. And then there's the spiritual life that has no end. It's a concept that we wrestle with because we do not comprehend it fully. Hard to conceive of conceiving a soul that will never die as we bring a life into this world. A soul that has never been is now a soul that will never die. And we shape and determine the destiny along the way. But is Jesus asking us something that he has not done himself? Counting that cost. What did it cost him to come to this world? And what is the result of his making that decision to come to this world? No way humanly that we have to even begin to comprehend that. 
It's hard to imagine God before eternity, before he laid the foundation of the world, or in eternity laid the foundation of the world. Before there was a world, there was already a plan made. And it was going to cost. It was going to cost the Son of God a price. And we may say, well, that was a relatively easy choice because he knew he was going to die, and then he'd, he'd live again. He'd be raised the third day, and he'd be with the Father in heaven. But as you read the Gospels, you read a little bit about what he went through. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He came to those who he had prepared for thousands of years of his coming. And when he came, they would not receive him. And yet he was still willing to make that, that sacrifice along the way. God doesn't pull any punches with us about what it takes. First of all, you got to hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, even life itself. Second, you have to carry the cross and follow Christ. And last, you have to be willing to give up all your possessions. Sounds simple, does it? <laughs> Easy to do. To hate your father and your mother. See, we have the word hate there, and we have our, in our own mind what that means. It means to love less. You have to love your mother and your father less than you do God. Makes a little bit of difference in there. Because we're told to what? Honor our mother and our father. But they do not take the top priority within our lives. They are preparing us for something that is better to come, physically and then also spiritually. They're going to ask things of us, as God will as well, that seem hard or difficult at the time. Parents always want what is best for you. Heard when I was growing up, and I had a friend who went to school, and he would always talk about he finished in the, the top ten of his class. And there's only ten students in his class. <laughs> they always want us to do better than what we can do. Been told many times, and I don't know how many times, but enough times I remember it. You know, you need to do well in school, David. If you do not do well in school, you end up being a ditch digger. And my response, <clears throat> under my breath, would I'd be the happiest ditch digger there was. But evidently that didn't work out either. <laughs> Mom got her way. You, you, but you have to, to realize what they're wanting. What is Jesus really wanting from us? 
He's wanting what is best for us here, but it may not seem that way. And we live life long enough to know that things that we pursued at a younger age is no longer a top priority in our life. And it's gone by the wayside. And it's all the way through life. We, we keep changing our priorities as we go through life. And it's to try to re remind us, again, we are going to move on through this life. Is this as simple as what's been brought out? Jesus' words do not sound like they're black and white. They are black and white. This is the way that it is. There is no alternative. There is no alternate option to take. Either you serve God or you do not. If you serve God from a heart of, that's true to him, there's a blessing that is beyond this world. But if you choose not to serve God, there is a consequence. And it matters not how regretful or matters not how we may have perceived the life that we live. Think about Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done these marvelous, paraphrasing, these marvelous works in your name? Look what we've done. We've cast out demons. We healed the sick. We've done this. We've done that. And he will say unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's a sobering passage to read. And it has a, that element of truth in it, does it not? Look what we have done for you, God. Hmm. Where is the, what has God done for us throughout this life? And again, because we're not able to see everything, the ins or the outs, the beginnings, the end, and how it all works together, we do not see that what we perceive as being bad works for good. We're born into this world, and we live this life, and we've got to learn to wean ourselves away from this life. So we're given a lifetime to work with that along the way. How do we view what Jesus is teaching? There are restaurants that seem to be going out of business, it seems, along the way. Uh, the buffet-style restaurants. There's still a number of them around. I always are not going to them. Because I get to pick out what I want. Years ago, when I was go to preacher meetings, I would tell Pat, "I'm going. They're going out to lunch after the meeting." He said, "Where are you going?" I said, I'm "Going to a restaurant, and I'm going. They have a salad bar there." And she said, "Oh, good, good for you, yeah." Uh, <clears throat> we helped her sister move one time, and they took us out to dinner after we helped them move, and they took us to a restaurant that had a salad bar. She found out what was on the salad bar. It's not just salad. I was in trouble after that because they had desserts. And I could use those desserts 
and uh, haven't been there in a while, but I always enjoyed going to the Golden Corral because they had that flowing chocolate. And you can chocolate coat whatever it is you want to chocolate coat. Uh, I just put a bowl under there and get a bowl of chocolates. We're simply saying Christianity is not of that nature. You're not free to go through and say, well, I like this, but I don't, do not like that, and I like this, I do not like to do that particular thing. So I, I pick to do what I like to do. No, we get to do it all. We choose to follow him. Jesus did not. Take up your cross and follow me. I think if I read that and I think about, I've been in several places, uh, particularly along the, this time of the year, as was last Sunday, and see people walking around town carrying a 12-foot wooden cross. You know, because they want to emulate Jesus. They'll take up your cross, so they want to carry the cross. They think it's something. There are those who have done it uh, down through the years. There are some places they've have been those who have been nailed to the cross because they want to be like the Savior. But the one who carried a 12-foot cross, <clears throat> is he picking up his cross and following Jesus? One is he has a 12-foot polished wooden cross, sanded and, dust, and, and polished and no splinters in it. I don't see the cross of Jesus quite in that light. Second of it is, second of all, as he carrying the cross throughout town just to demonstrate it, I find as I look at the tail or the, the end of the cross as he's carrying it, it's on wheels. He's dragging it along with the wheels so it's easier to carry. That's not what he has in mind. Cross was for crucifixion. A cross was to be put to death. Unless I take up the cross, crucify myself, put myself to death, be raised to walk a new life, a new what? A new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new life that we get to live. And God gives us instructions through his word of how we are indeed to, to live that life. You think about Jesus coming into this world, hating your father and your mother. Do you see it in his life, loving less your father and your mother? Remember when Jesus was about 12 years of age, going up to Jerusalem, returning home, and everybody thinks he's with somebody, he's with the relatives. You've never done that with your kids, have you? You know, if you've got a big family get together, there was somebody. You know, may not know exactly who it is, but there was somebody. Anyway, they found out Jesus wasn't there, and they go back to find him in the temple, talking with the, the the leaders. Did you not know that it must be about my father's business? He was serving his heavenly father. His earthly parents were put in a different category. Did he stop caring for his earthly parents? We don't have a record of how long Joseph lived or when he died along the way. But we know at the end of Jesus' life, he commits the care of his mother to John. Behold your mother. Take care of your mother now. So he never stopped loving them. 
fact, Luke reminds us when they left Jerusalem going back to Nazareth that Jesus continued in subjection to his parents. Interesting passage there in Luke 2, I think about verse 52. Continued in subjection to his parents. But he had a heavenly father that he was also in subjection to. And so learning to make that distinction of denying the parents, carrying the cross, self-crucifixion, it's not my will. There are things I may not like to do. Is that not true in the physical life? Is it not true when you have small children that you get some tasks to do that they're not the top of the list? Uh, early morning feedings, taking care of other functions along the way that are part of having a child. Uh, you know, that's that. We just get to do those things. We do it because of why. I'm obligated to change this baby's diaper. If I wasn't obligated to do, I wouldn't do it. As far as I know, and I've talked to several, I, I've never heard a mother say that was why she did it. Might be why the daddy does it. But it's usually not why the mama does it. It's done out of love. That's my child. I love my child, and I take care of my child. We do things that we may not like. And again, anywhere up and down the line at any aspect of our life, is uh, there are things we do not because we like to, but because they need to be done. And for us, it's the proper thing to do. Denying ourselves. Giving up all your possessions. What about Jesus? Did he give up his possessions? What earthly possessions did he have? What home was his? The created world. <laughs> he has no place to lay his head. He had no home in the physical sense. Uh, he had left it all. He was even separated from the Father, Heavenly Father, for a period of time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you even begin to identify with that? Can you identify with that emotion that the eternal Son Involved in the creation of this world that is beyond our comprehension and understanding. With the Father in eternity. Doing the will of the Father. I came to do my Father's will. That such a prayer would be uttered on that cross. And one in the Garden of Gethsemane. That one's, hard. that one's always hard for me to read through, I guess, as I read those texts about him in the garden. Leaving his disciples, Peter, James, and John, going a little bit farther. And as you read the different texts, falling flat on his face, prostrate in the garden. 
Father, if it be your will, find another way. He knew before he left heaven what the will of the Father was. He knew as he walked on the face of this earth what the will of the Father was. He knew from the beginning and through his life that God would be with him even through this time. But if there be another way, Father, find it. Three times that prayer. Sweat like blood, agony to the point of death, or crying unto the Father. But did, have you read on? What happened when he came back the third time? When Judas is coming to meet him. Behold, my betrayer is at hand. Let us arise and go. He gets up and he goes. Doesn't utter a word. Pilate, to the charges leveled against him. He was willing to do the will of the Father. Pilate told him, don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? Jesus said, no. You only have what God has given to you. You do your job. And then again on the cross. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? But then, how did he end his life? Depends on which gospel you're reading. The one that says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He gave up his life. I like that. It tells me that the son of the living God who dwelt on this earth as a human being, had ups and downs throughout his life. It did not all go smoothly for him. He came to his own, and his own did not, re, did not accept him. They rejected him. He would talk to them, and they would took up stones to stone him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. But he never quit trusting the Father in heaven. Take up the cross and follow me. Count the cost. Relatively easy to count the cost here. Oh, we can do that. But rest assured, and we already know it, but rest assured that as you walk here on this earth, Satan is not leaving you alone. Neither is God, but Satan is not leaving you alone. And I'm sure that you have found out that he is fairly, mildly, fairly deceptive in what he says and what he does. He can make it sound so right Listen, you've been a faithful servant all these years. I mean, come on, you deserve a break. 
What's one time? You ever hear that one? What's one time? Now, all I know is there's never just one time. There's always another time and always another. But he is active. Does God know that? Well, sure he knows that. Has God given us what we need? Yes, he has. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Well, I would, I would resist him if I could see him. See, he's a spiritual being. How do you find a, a spiritual being whom you cannot see, who is very deceptive in what he does, how he can leave out a word, add a word, twist it to fit the situation that you're in at the particular time, make it sound the logical thing to do? How do you fight that? Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. That's how you fight him. You draw near to God. He gives you what you need to resist him. You get the reminder as we read through the scriptures. Any of God's people down through time have been persecuted. It's not new to us. It's always been there. And God's people have always been able to be faithful unto him. That's what we need to be reminded of. Well, they don't. They didn't go through the same things we're going through. Yes, they did. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three main areas of of temptation that Satan uses. Have they changed? Go back to Genesis 3. Has it changed? The lust of the eyes, that beautiful tree to look at. The lust of the flesh. The fruit is to be desire, and the pride of life, it will make you wise. That hasn't changed. It's been there from the beginning. And so I'm reminded with what God has given to me, I can be strong with God. The strength comes from God. What Jesus did at the end. He counted the cost. Realized again the brevity of this life. Hardships, yes. The brevity. But that eternal reward is what makes the difference. So as we fight these battles, and as we struggle through this life, as we're counting the cost, never count God out. Never count him out. It's an impossibility. There is no way for us to ever know what we would be like, what life would be like without God. No way for us to know. Because he's always been there. He has never left. So we would never know. We may think it's bad. We may think God has left us. But we will never know what life would be like if God was not there. This is his universe. This is his world. This is his body. We are his children. And we need to be assured that God 
cares for his children. He gives the strength when it's needed. I want it beforehand, but he gives it when it's needed. When I've been knocked down, go back and read the Garden of Gethsemane again. With Jesus, when you're knocked down, God is still there. The prayer was answered. Father, it be thy will, find another way. The prayer was answered. There is not another way. <laughs> this is it. That's why he can say, let us, be, let us go. Come on. The betrayer is at hand. Let's go on through with what needs to be done. Let's glorify God. As you look at your life, where are you? Bringing honor and glory to God? I pray so. Trusting Him in all the trials that we go through? I pray so. Trusting Him that He'll see us through this life. And more than that, He'll see us into eternity. I pray so. But the choice is always ours individually. We can encourage one another. We need to keep doing that. We can pray for each other. We need to keep doing that. But ultimately, the choice is yours in this mind. What will we choose in serving God? Where do you stand? Not in your eyes, but where do you stand in the eyes of God? If you need to make a change, God is always there. If we could assist you or if we could help you, we're here for that. If you need to respond to that invitation, if we could help you, indeed we would bid you to come as together we stand and sing.